everybody. Welcome to the Macabre Podcast Universe. It's the podcast that exists. I can't remember why. To prove people wrong when they say sequels are never better than the originals. Oh yeah, that's right. And I'm Jordan. And I'm Micah Macaw. And we're married. Yeah. We have a child. Uh, yeah, I guess so. As of this recording, we do not. Yeah. Keep talking about that for a second. Let me adjust something. Any day now, as we're recording right now, we will have it. But now that you're listening to it, we've had it. Yes. And we've hopefully had it everything's for... hunky dory. Yes, yes. And um we this is the last of our pre recorded episodes. Uh um like like we have been working on this really hard to get way ahead of schedule, so we didn't have to worry about the podcast. Um and we're doing a series that uh turned very strange. Yeah. <laughs> so this is the Dr. Mabuse uh series. Um, I mean, I was about to kind of reframe everything, but listen to our last two episodes. How about that? Do your homework. Yeah. Why are you um, choosing to listen to the third one? Exactly. Exactly. Um, but I think it was funny. So th- on the week that this episode we're recording it on blank check, they started their Park Chan Woo series. How does that have anything to do with this? Well, that's literally what I'm about to say. Oh, you're teeing me up. I yeah. get it. Uh, so what was funny is they came in right off the bat and they were kind of like, Hey guys, glad he won the March madness. And I know we have a lot to talk about, but we got to get through his first two movies and there's not a lot to talk about. Oh, so that, that's why they bundled them. That's why they bundled them. And it was pretty interesting. And actually I still think it was a pretty valuable episode and really good, but like they they talked more about Park Chan Woo than they actually did the movies. The movies was maybe like twenty minutes of the entire podcast to talk about two movies. What are they about? Uh, I couldn't tell you. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> um, so, like, are they like Edgar Wright f- level first movies? Uh, I mean, David Sims seemed like he actively did not want to talk about the movies the entire episode. And Got Griffin, it. It, what was funny is Griffin kept trying to talk about the movies Got and it. David was like, yeah, whatever. I don't care. Uh, <laughs> I just saw, I thought this was very cute. Uh-huh. Um, well, wait, speaking, let me, no, let me okay. finish my point. What I'm going to say is when we watched this movie the other night, uh, the 1000 eyes of Dr. Yeah. Mabuse, I thought, crap, how are we going to fill an episode? Because, yeah. um, I just thought, how are we going to do it? And hearing Blank Check, perhaps the most famous and perhaps the best film podcast out there. And one of the most long-winded. Hearing them say, like, sorry, guys, we got, like, I don't know how we're going to talk about it, made me think, you know what? Every podcast gets a a pass on on something like this. I think you're still going to find a lot interesting, and we're going to talk about some extra stuff because we thought, let's try and prepare a little extra. But, um... It, it it made me go, you know what? I am free to just do this episode, and I don't need to worry. Yeah. So have that freedom, too, Jordan. I'll do my best. They, it was still like a two-and-a-half-hour episode oh, because I'm they're sure maniacs. Sure they probably have a guest. No. They don't? No. Wow. Which is always the best. Yeah. Uh, but go ahead. You were going to say something else. I saw. I thought this was very sweet, speaking of Edgar Wright, that the theater in the in England, it's like the, the only theater that showed his first movie. Okay. Not the only theater. That sounds weird but like they showed his first movie in theaters and they're doing like a over the next several months like a feature of Edgar Wright and oh, like, sh- re- showing, all like showing a lot of his movies I okay. don't know if they're doing all of it um but I thought yeah, maybe they really... don't have the rights to show all of them but yeah and he, he listed it's it's most of them it yeah. is most of them but um, are they showing fistful of fingers 
I don't know if, actually if they are, but they did when it when he made wow. it. Wow. So I thought that was very sweet. I would think if you were Edgar Wright, because we've heard him talk about that movie, uh, and you were going to do Fistful of Fingers, I think I would request. Well, if he's involved, like if there's like a talk back or something, yeah, yeah, I'd yeah. be like, we have to do Fistful of Fingers and Shaun of the Dead. Like like in the same night, like a double feature. Yeah. Because um, Fistful of Fingers is super short, and you don't want to leave people having watched that movie. That movie's terrible. Yeah. It, it's it, it's one of those, there, there are like some directors where you watch their first movie, and it's like, geez, they all like this is what it was like at the beginning like yeah. in a in a crazy crazy like prolific way uh-huh and then you watch edgar wright's first movie fistful of fingers and it's like okay like you see you see like his talent and his artistry and stuff but it's also like phew that makes me feel i don't know yeah it, it's like kind of nice and validating as an artist to be like not everyone hit it out of the park first try yeah not everybody writes carry first that sounds condescending and i don't mean it that way i truly no, mean it like you don't have to that's i nice. don't think you have to justify anything here on that i feel like he's listening <laughs> <laughs> if he is i think he would understand uh yeah no um i was actually going to encourage you to listen to this episode of blank check because it was pretty interesting that this guy park chan Wu, is just an incredible filmmaker mm-hmm. like one of the best currently living and one of the gnarliest one of the gnarliest and and yet he did make two movies that were just like like Two people who can rant and rave all day long tried not, they basically tried not to talk about the two movies for two hours. Wow. And it was, it was kind of encouraging to hear that. And then I guess the next movie he makes after this, I don't know the title, don't ask, uh, okay. is like, is like his hit out of the home run okay. movie, where then he's then able to like make his career. But two he's got like checks. two like stinkers right off the bat. Oh, wow. Okay. And must we never forget that Stanley Kubrick's first movie is is hardly watchable. True. That movie's tough. And yet he's considered by many as the best filmmaker all time. Yeah, that's true. And so then brings us to this movie. Yes. The Loop 1000 Eyes of Dr. Mabuse. And this movie came out in the six, 50s. This came out in 1961. So this movie came out in the 60s. It's directed by Fritz Lang. And it's like, okay, this is pretty late. Or 1960, I'm sorry. Okay. Pretty late in this guy's career, and it's like, what? Yes. How? What happened? Yes. So Why does this feel like a TV movie? Yeah. Was it a TV movie? Uh, no, probably not. <laughs> so, uh, first of all, setting the table a little bit, uh, the last movie was 1933 in the series, correct? That sounds right. <sighs> uh, the Testament of Dr. Mabuse. Um, and then he has a pretty prolific career. Uh, he is also considered one of the greatest filmmakers of all time. Uh, and this is his last movie that he ever makes. Oh, okay. And he thought to revisit Dr. Mabuse. Okay. And, um, it, it, what I, what, what I found interesting is on IMDb on Letterboxd, this movie is much higher rated than I would put it. But then I got to thinking, it's not a lot of people, like you can see, you know, how many users logged mm-hmm. something, and it's pretty low. Yeah. So I think you just have, like, Lang completionists. Yeah. Who are probably like, hey, you know, it's not the best movie in the world, but it's interesting. Uh-huh. And while I found this movie confounding and almost impossible to follow, yep. Um, I did think that the ideas that it presented were very cool and very interesting. I just don't think it was presented well. Yeah. 
Because I like everything this movie's trying to do. Yeah. I just wish it did it better. I would call it piss poor. <laughs> yeah. Did you like what it was trying to do by any... S- uh, was there was there a positive for you? Let me ask you that. Um, I guess I do. I did find it interesting the one thousand eyes element, especially you mentioning. I feel like days later after watching it, like the Big Brother element yeah. to it. That's definitely interesting, but it's so barely there that it's hard for me to latch onto anything. Yeah, in this movie. Yeah, well, and and for those who, because here's here's the deal. I am assuming of all of our listeners that are still listening to the Doctor Mabuse series, there was probably one of them that watched this movie, which is Michael is, Combs, yeah, yeah. who was the guest on our first episode. Um, so for those who don't know, there's this whole element in this film about security cameras and stuff, and this is the '60s, so this would be like kind of newer technology. And he's tapping into this idea of like Big Brother, and always being watched. And those, and when when you're always watched, your actions can be manipulated, and you can manipulate people by those actions. And it's like the next coming of Doctor Mabuse, and all of that. Again, I think that the ideas and themes are really poignant, and they fit in line with how each of the other two movies are like when you zoom out they have these big ramifications in regards to like society because the the first two are you know allegories for Mm. nazis and hitler and so this one being like updated for the nuclear time and then like this coming era that's about to hit us full of big brother you know what what uh, george orwell's written 1984 by now you know so this anxiety is on people's mind and for him to tap into that and say yeah, this next wave, the the fear that will drive people from them losing their independence and their their like liberties and privacy, specifically privacy, uh, will be what could could cause chaos and fear and let greed and and anger live. What's um, interesting is people yeah. are watching people watching people because Mabuse isn't the only one watching spying on people. Uh huh. You get that guy looking through the mirror. Mm, mm. Yeah, I just they didn't really do much with him other than I know that's the thing. Oh, it's she's like getting dressed, putting on her bra. Like that's kind of I know. There's all they use it for. There's so much that's there that could have been really expanded upon. Yeah. Um, do you know if 1984 was successful when it came out? I don't know that. I don't remember. I mean, you're the one who went to college, so if anyone should know Not it, for that. Not to find out if 1984 was successful But or you not. have a second edition 1984 book, so, Jordan. Yeah, it's American printing, though. It's not valuable at all. Is he British? Yeah, we talked about this oh, when we, we did. were watching it. We did, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. The British, the British are really suspicious of their government, rightfully so, as are most people it was an immediate success immediate success okay so it resonated more than a quarter of a million copies in the first six months and spent 20 weeks on the new york times bestseller list that's pretty good so but i guess before we go fully in uh, the the thing that i would say though is like you know i you're probably listening and you're like micah you were just pontificating about this movie pretty pretty deeply there but i do think i'm maybe reading I'm I'm assuming the intention of the movie more than what the movie has shown me. Yeah. You know? 
Because, like, looking at it through the lens of what he did with the first two movies, I'm, like, assuming he had that intention here. Yeah. But I don't think he succeeds in conveying that. And why not? What happened to the production? Yeah. Um, I also have an idea for a sequel that I'm going to talk about at the end of this episode. Okay. Uh, So, we're going to go, we're going to rewind all the way back. Can you make a rewind sound for me at any, any chance? No, I'm blowing my nose. Okay. Um... Fritz Lang immigrates to the U.S. And or he, did he? <laughs> he did. In, uh, uh, I think, 33, I think we realized. Um, and he makes 23 movies in the U.S. Jeez. Yeah, um, over the course of 20 years. And he also gets full citizenship in the U.S. in 1939. Um, uh, I One movie that I thought was really interesting, haven't seen, maybe we should watch it, is a movie called Fury that came out in 1936. Was that movie a remake? No, it has nothing oh, to do okay. with the, the Brad Pitt Fury. This is 1936, and it saw Spencer Tracy, an actor, cast as a man who is wrongly accused of a crime and nearly killed when a lynch mob sets fire to the jail where he is awaiting trial. However, in Fury, Lang was not allowed to represent black victims in a lynching scenario or to criticize racism, which was his original intention. What? That he wasn't allowed to? By who? Like the production? Like or Hollywood the pro- or the producers, yeah. Talk about censorship. Yeah. So that was what he wanted to do. Jeez. That was his intention with the movie. Yeah. And he was not able to do that. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Okay. Seems like a pretty good movie, though. Yeah. Um, I like that plot. Um, You're going to be able to do this recording with me looking like this? Uh, yeah, I can do it. Jordan has several uh, pieces of toilet paper shoved up her nose. It's another sick recording. <laughs> <laughs> um, he was involved in the creation of the Anti-Nazi League. He made four explicit anti-Nazi movies. Manhunt, Hangman, Also Die, and these are all in the U.S. He makes these. Ministry of Fear and Cloak and Dagger. Uh, his movies throughout this time period, the style and everything he does about them are huge influences on and slash part of the creation of the film noir genre. Okay. Um, so he's getting older. Now we're, now we're catching up more to the fifties. He's getting older and he's declining in health and he's having trouble backing movies now. Okay. And so he is approached by Artur Berner, uh, who is German. And he had an interest in remaking this movie called The Indian Tomb, which was from an original story by Thea von Harbo. Okay. Remember her, an ex-wife of Lang and co-writer on Metropolis. She wrote 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 the novel Metropolis, co-wrote screenplay, I believe. How she wrote the movie? I didn't know there was a novel. Yes. I don't remember. Yeah, it was anyway. anyway. And she did co-wrote the Mabuse movies. Um... And so she had written this story that they made this movie in in the 20s called The Indian Tomb by Joe May was the director of that. So this producer starts talking to Lang and then Lang returns to Germany for you know he's been living in the US for these 20 years or so and he makes four more movies in Germany. Wow. Uh and that will be the end of his career. Okay. Um and so that the Indian Tomb, I I think, I think he did make that. I actually didn't write that down, so I'm unsure if he made the Indian Tomb. Fritz Lang. Yeah, Fritz Lang. Um, looking it up. You're looking it up. Yeah, he did. Um, what year was that? 
19, oh wait, holy, hold on. Did he make the remake? Is what you're asking? Yeah, he did. 1959. Oh, okay, okay, great. So he, okay, so he comes back, he makes that movie, then he makes three more, and this producer Bronner, um, yeah, it's Bronner, not Burner, um, wanted to remake the Testament of Doctor Mabuse, um, and so he approached Lang with the idea for a new movie, um. Oh, no, no. I'm sorry. Bronner was going to remake the Testament. And then Lang went up to him and said, I have an idea for a new Dr. Mabuse movie. And so he's like, perfect. Okay. Um, And so he starts working on this movie, which is also loosely based on a book called Mr. Tot Buys a Thousand Eyes. Not a Mabuse book. Not a Mabuse book. Um, So this book is... And now we're going to now we might fill this episode now because I'm about to say some stuff where I already know you're going to ask certain questions. Um, Mr. Top buys a thousand eyes is from the night uh, is from 1931. And it's the third novel that was originally written in Esperanto. Where's that? Where? What is that? Yes. <laughs> Perfect cue up there. Uh, Esperanto is an artificial language constructed in 1887 by L.L. Zemanhoff, a Polish oculist, and intended for use as international second language. What? Uh, Zeman- What's this called? <laughs> Esperanto. Uh, Zemanhoff's Fundamento de Esperanto, published in 1905, lays down the basic principles of the language's structure and formation. So this was the third novel that was written in this language that was meant to become, like, the second language of the world, I guess. What? Why? <laughs> Probably so that people could be speaking, like, a, a new but same language, I would imagine. Or at least in, like, a region. Because I, I think it has, like, Polish influence, um, German influence, like, a lot of Eastern European influence. Um, are you Are you looking it up right now? That's crazy. I know. I'd never heard about this before. Um, but yeah. Should we learn Esperanto? I guess. Should we teach our baby Esperanto? The interesting thing about that, though, is I understand the internationalness of it, but like, then you, like, it, I know this person probably wasn't doing it. So, like, let's get rid of all languages so we can all speak one and then therefore we can all understand and therefore our, all conflict will be over. Yeah. I don't I don't think that's why this guy created it, but it's like, but then you're just getting rid of culture. Yeah. But I do think it's instead of here's what's interesting though, instead of saying, "Hey, everyone should speak English," which would then be like colonization in a way. Yes. He's saying like, "Let's create a new language together." You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like maybe that would create culture rather than this destroy also says, it. One of the language's most notable features is its extensive system of derivation, where prefixes and suffixes may be freely combined with roots to generate words, making it possible to communicate effectively with a smaller set of words. I don't know what that means. I think that means saying (laughs) more, getting across more, saying less. Okay. Wow. So we'll teach the baby Esperanto, and uh, she'll be fluent in Esperanto when she grows up. We won't even worry about English. Is that how's that sound? <laughs> uh, okay. So, uh, anyway, so th- this book is the third one that uh, 
it was written in that language, and it's by a man named Gene Forge. Uh, it's a fantasy adventure novel, so um, it's kind of loosely based on that novel as well. Okay. Um, during the production of this movie, Lang was starting to become completely blind. Wow. Um, and here's the thing. This was a little bit hard to research. This is sort of a lost movie, I would say. Yeah. Um, I mean, you can watch it. You can watch it for free. It's on YouTube. It's on Tubi. Um, so it's available, but no one's watching this. No one's, like, writing about this movie. So the history of it's not – there's just not a lot there. Um, so I saw this thing that says the success of the movie made way for the following movies, but I also don't have box office for this movie. I don't have, like – I don't have any proof that this movie actually was successful. Okay. So – I don't know what the success of this movie really means. Okay. But it does spawn a bunch of sequels, which we will not be covering on this podcast. We were just going to hit the Fritz Lang movies. Um, And these movies seem to have zero cultural impact, as well as the movie we're covering today. Yeah. So it spawns The Return of Dr. Mabuse, The Invisible Dr. Mabuse, The Testament of Dr. Mabuse, which is a sequel slash remake. I don't know what that means. Scotland Yard hunts Dr. Mabuse, The Secret of Dr. Mabuse, and The Vengeance of Dr. Mabuse. Okay. And we're not covering any of those. No. And I will not watch those movies. Um, But I I will pitch what I think they should do. And I think they could make one today. Okay. And I think maybe they should. Okay. Um, But Did you look up the Dr. Strange thing? So Dr. Strange was a... Okay, tell them about it while I gather my information here. um, Hold on, I want to find the character... Um, he was like the psychiatrist, the professor, the doctor. Oh man, I looked through actors pr- before this, but I think I actually forgot to look him up. Uh huh. Oh no, I think it's this guy, Wolfga- Wolfgang Priest. Okay. Yes. Um, he plays the professor, Doctor S. Jordan, and he looks so much like Doctor Strange down to the face. Like he has the same like goatee, same type of hair. Yeah, with the wingtip sides. Uh-huh. And it, it was it, it looked straight up like they someone likes Mabuse. I but the thing is is I, I mean I've never read a Doctor Strange comic, so uh-huh. all I know is the movies. But it's like is there some kind of Mabuse thing with Doctor Strange when that character was created? So um nothing that I can discover. Uh, nothing that I know about. I don't think that there's any connection between the two. Uh, regard. I mean, maybe. So, so the creator of this character is Steve Ditko. He's also the co-creator of Spider-Man, um, and he premieres in July of 1963. Yeah. In Strange Tales number 110. Um. So, I I. I think it's maybe a case of like maybe maybe Steve Ditko like saw this movie and, and it's it like uh, stuck sublim- in his head subliminal or or, or it, he just really liked it and was yeah or he just randomly like was drawing a character and it just happened to look almost it's crazy. identical but yeah it, it is nuts that like it, yeah if you if you were gonna make a Doctor Strange movie in 1963 you would hire this guy to be that guy because yeah. he looks exactly like him it's crazy yeah. he was just missing the cape. That's it. That's the only thing he was missing. Truly. And the eye of Agimoto, of course. I just liked it. I just like to say that, even though I think I mispronounced it. Um, anyway, yeah, so 
The movie's written by Fritz. Uh, it's also written by Heinz Oscar Wedig, who did some German movies I'm not familiar with. Uh, based on that book we talked about, cinematography by Carl Lo- Lobb. Uh, music is by Gerhard Becker. It comes out September 14th, 1960, and it reteams the art director Eric Kettlehut and Fritz Lang, who the last time they worked together, according to the IMDb trivia, which is not always accurate, was Dr. Mabuse, the gambler. Okay. Wow. That's a long time. Yeah. So this is the what I have for this movie. So for actors, Don Adams plays Marion Mennell, our um, heroine character. She is... I, I, so you didn't see anything about like why they were speaking in English? Because a well, lot of these people are German. But this woman is English. Uh, no, but I, I'm thinking about like, you know, a, li- a few years later where there's still like the Spaghetti West or there's the beginning of the Spaghetti so Westerns. So like shoot it, and- shoot it in English because it's probably going to do better. Like they'll probably make more money. Well, I, I think like dubbing back then just wasn't as uncommon as it is now. Okay. You know, it's like now. But it's not even the dubbing. They were speaking English. I No, but I know. But I mean, it makes me think like they didn't capture sound on set. Okay. You know, I think they just du- overdubbed because they there was no sound that was in the actual set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So it just it makes me think of like whenever we watch an Indian movie, it's always like incredibly dubbed. Yeah, yeah. It, I don't know that we've seen one that wasn't like every single line is dubbed over. Yeah. Um. Which I know they have their language reasonings for that, yeah. but um, it's even when you watch it in the original language, I think it's usually not uh, su- sunk up very well. Yeah. So I think it just goes into that category. Yeah. Where it's like back then they would just do that. Since we're talking about it, we have to talk about it. Iga, Iga, Iga? Yeah. Mike and I are in the middle. Well, we got like 40 minutes left as of recording this. Yeah. Of um, an SS Raj... Uh, let me look up his name. The guy again. who did RRR and Bahubali, one and two. SS Rajamali. Rajamali. Uh, he made this movie called Ega, which is fly, and it is about a man that is killed and reincarnated into a fly, yes. and he is killed by the woman. So the woman he is in love with, this other man is pursuing her. This evil, evil businessman, uh-huh. and the evil businessman finds out that she has given her heart to the to Nanu. I think, or Nani. Nani, Nani, of course. And so the businessman This is Boondi. Boondi and Nani. (laughs) Bindu. Oh, is it Bindu? (laughs) Oh, whoops. Um, But this evil, evil businessman kills Nani, and Nani comes back as a housefly. (laughs) And... It is is as insane as you imagine, and more so. Yeah. Folks, there is a sequence. No, I'm sorry. You were talking. The... So, eventually, the... As a fly... Uh Uh-huh. Nani convinces Bindu, gets His her love. attention, and draws and, and writes out using her tears. I'm Nani. I am Nani reborn. Yes. And convinces her that the evil, evil businessman murdered him. So they need to re- take the revenge on him. And he has convinced the evil businessman that he is alive. That he is alive and as this fly, and he is seeking out his revenge. He wrote. Uh, he, he caused a major car accident that almost killed the guy and wrote on his windshield, I will kill you. <laughs> yes. Now, so after convincing Nani... Can I say... Wait, I just have to say, after convincing <laughs> Nani that he is alive and needs to enact revenge and he needs her help, so she's going to be a uh, complicit uh, uh-huh. uh, participator in murder, 
She makes him. She makes who she is already. She's a micro artist. She makes tiny art. Uh-huh. This is a thing. This is a movie uh-huh. that exists based on someone's idea. The yeah, it was. It was based on an idea. That was the tag. It wasn't inspired by. Uh-huh. Well, inspired by a true story, but you you know it wasn't inspired <laughs> by or based on a book. It's based on someone's idea. Uh-huh. So this Sonani makes housefly size goggles for Nani so that he can withstand a housefly repellent. And uh-huh. then later on, she fashions him little metal gloves. They're claws. Little metal claws so he can scratch the evil businessman. This is a movie based on someone's idea. Yeah. They love the idea so much that they needed to give credit to the person who came up with it. And this is the man who will later make the best movie of 2022. And one of the best movies made ever. Yeah. But actually, it's funny because when you're watching it, because we were like, it's kind of unbelievable that this is the same director. But at the same time while watching it, I'm like, but I think the, the... absolute audacity of this director is part of why I love RRR so much is that the movie is not subtle and it's so over the top and it's like, you gotta make your housefly movie revenge housefly movie as the poster dubs it the ultimate revenge story. Uh, They're not kidding. (laughs) You know, you gotta make that in order to get your two best friends who take on the British colonial. And if you've seen RRR and you're like, I really loved that. I could use more of that. You should watch Bahu Believe 1 and 2 because they're so freaking good, those movies. Oh, yeah. Bahu Believe 1 and 2 are the next step. Yeah. Uh, They're they're not as good as RRR. No, but they're fantastic. They're awesome, though. Um, Yeah, there's nothing quite that's, that's hit like RRR for me. Yeah. Um, but I do think Lagan was like almost as good as like quality wise. Lagan that movie's... felt like um a movie you watch as a kid in school. Yeah. Because it's a it's like a really inspiring historical How, somehow I knew we were gonna spend half this episode talking about Indian cinema. <laughs> but because uh, I think people have told you like when you were telling people we watched Lagan and Jeremy like, oh, did. oh yeah, like him saying like he grew up watching that movie and it's like that makes so much sense. Yeah. How did I miss this movie? Yeah. That's how Lagan felt to me. Yeah, historical epic. So Mike and I've not not we haven't been trying very hard, but you know when we're in the mood for an Indian movie, we've seen a lot of Amir Khan movies at this point, which is Bollywood. Yeah, S S Rajum Rajmali Rajmali is Tollywood. Yeah, Tollywood. Which is so it's been fun to see a little bit of a variety. Uh huh. Yeah. But uh oh, who boy, Iga, I don't know. Iga Iga. I don't know how it's going to end. It's it's wild, yeah. And they're they're currently in the process of of a, just an extended basically montage of them attempting to kill him in different ways. Probably been like a 30 minute or more montage yeah, it's if crazy. I really think about it. It it's truly I mean, I thought the movie would be crazy, but here's here's what I'm loving about the movie though. Because okay, in the US someone says, "Hey, this is a movie about we'll just say like Jason Statham and he is, he turns into a house fly and goes on a killing spree. I think to myself, awesome. I want to see this movie. You wind up going to see it. And like the first hour is incredibly boring. Then the second hour is kind of okay. And then maybe it ends and you're like, okay, the last like 20 minutes was pretty fun and worth like, we finally got there. But with, with a lot of these Indian movies, they'll have these premises that are just balls to the walls, bonkers and the movie is just balls to the walls the whole time. Yeah. And so you're not like, like this movie absolutely delivers on the premise, man turned into housefly. 
Much like Amir Khan is in this movie called PK, and I, it's probably my least favorite of the yeah. of the Indian movies we've watched. Yeah, and yet at the same time, Alien comes to Earth doesn't really understand what Earth is, but in a way, he understands humans better than humans understand themselves. Yeah, least favorite, and yet it was still like from the beginning. It's three and a half hours long, or whatever. That one might have been just. Three I don't hours. think that one was that one, but yeah. And it's like. I don't know. It's still really interesting. And yeah. it's still like just absolutely bonkers from the beginning to end. Yeah. So they just deliver on these premises from our very limited experience of watching a very small amount of Indian movies. They yes. seem to really deliver on their premises. And this movie, Iga, is really a cautionary tale that if you are a tease to somebody, someone's interested <laughs> in you and you are interested in them, but you like playing hard to get and you do that for two years and then you're finally like, I think I'm ready to confess my love for this person after two years of him being a stalker uh-huh. and then he dies. That's a little bit on you probably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and guess what else? This movie is on Netflix and I'm sure it's still going to be there. Yeah. Uh, come the time this episode comes out, take the weekend, watch the movie and uh, don't watch the, the one that's size of Dr. Mabuse. Perplexed by how bad the movie looks though. Yeah, but we have like the artifice is like worse. Than usual. Yeah, and and I don't know what that is. I, I don't know if it's, like, because in India they, they just, like, put out so many movies, or maybe they're not as concerned, but I besides RRR, I, all of the movies have had special effects that are, like, pretty, like usually, like, 20 years behind, Amer- like, Hollywood. But even for the most part, so, like, Bahubali... Maybe, like, 10 years, sorry. Bahubali has some pretty outrageous CGI, but uh-huh. it also has some really cool CGI, it does some have some good scenes. stuff, but there's some that's, but, like, very, yeah, very janky. Especially when they're, like, fighting the animals in that one scene. I don't know if you remember. Where that one guy's, like, fighting a bull. It looks really oh, good. Oh, yeah. But also, they, like, that was, remember that thing they do in those movies is there's a tiny little thing that says CGI <laughs> in the corner so that you know that no animals are actually yeah. being used. But it's so funny because it's like, yeah, we know. We this know. man's not wrestling a bull. <laughs> but um, that being said, like, the sets are still, like, amazing yeah and i intricate. think i think there's a little bit of a choice i think so too um because like okay i <laughs> we're just doing this right now uh i think about bahubali one when he climbs the waterfall and he finds the woman of his dreams that's what i'm thinking and of. they have like this fantasy sequence it is very cgi it's very very fake but it's like this music video like about when he's like fantasy. dancing around her too because that, that, that's yeah. a little bit later and I just feel like all of that is, like, you should not watch that and think, like, oh, this should be more realistic. Like, there was no attempt to make it realistic. No. Uh, and I think that's one of the strengths of Indian cinema from the small amount that we've seen that I that I think we lack in our cinema. Yeah. Which is our obsession with realism. And so, you know, that's I think that's part of why, like, movies like Spider-Verse 1 and 2, we see those movies— And everyone walks away from them, and partially they're incredible stories and they're perfect movies. But we walk away and we're just so moved. And I think part of it is like, yeah, it's incredible to watch a movie where Gwen's world like melts away into pastel colors and matches the emotions of characters. And we don't think to ourselves, because it's animated, they can get away with it. Like, we don't think, man, that set looked really weird and it kept changing colors. We just go, this is incredible and it moves us. Yeah. And we need we need more we need more of that in our cinema. I think we're yeah. kind of starved for it. 
I would be interested to see like a if there's a hard boiled Indian movie somewhere, like a hard boiled detective. Because then, because Jordan, I am determined to find it. Okay, now. <laughs> cool. Because I would love to see what that would look like. Because um, the the beauty of I don't know, like when Parasite came out, it's like oh, okay. I got to watch more Korean movies. Yeah. Even prior to that, we had seen like old, uh, Park Woo Chan, like several of his movies, yeah. but like Park Chan Woo, Park Chan Woo. Sorry. Yeah. Um, and then like discovering actors like Min Sik Choi, but yeah. then it's like Bong Joon Ho. It's like, oh, okay, so let's dig it a little bit more into Korean movies. There's, there are a lot of dark ones. Like really, yeah, yeah. I would say from what I've seen, and it's probably because what's been advertised to me and what I've gravitated towards. Because yeah. it's like, oh, I like Parasite, then I should watch this other movie. Right. Um, are very dark. Yeah. And can really get under your skin. And it's like, but but then, that, but that's not all of them because Taxi Driver was a very... Um, that's a dark movie, It was man. a dark movie, but it was very uplifting and positive yes. yeah. at the end of the day. Um, but it's like with all the Indian movies we've seen, they're all very clean. Like the cleanest movies I've ever seen. Yeah. And very bright. Yeah. Have, we haven't seen much difference. But uh, I think I think their ability to just be like chameleons and shift tone all the time is a strength that they have that's a little like um, disorienting when you watch it as a Western what audience member. Who are you talking about? Indian movies. Okay. Because I think about a movie like Three Idiots. Yeah. Where the movie's like funny, it's cute, and then all of a sudden like in a, like there was a joke, a scene before, and then there's a... a <laughs> character who commits suicide that like kicks off the movie yeah and you're kind of like like i i think my reaction was to laugh because i was so confused that like we shifted tones that fast yeah and that's like a classic indian film yeah so um you know i i think it's just like a difference in it's it's the same way when i first started watching studio ghibli movies yeah which i think was some of the first time that i I intentionally was watching movies of another culture. Okay. Um, besides just a few movies on like the IMDb top 250. Yeah. And I remember there was an adjustment where it was like, oh, they, they, at least Hayao Miyazaki, but I think it's, you know, a lot, like a lot of Japan, they just tell stories differently and uh-huh. my brain's not used to it. Uh-huh. So it's like a, sh- a sh- switch. I have to like trust yep. that there's certain things that are shorthand that I don't understand. Yeah, I agree with that. I even in the, the some Japanese books that I've read, like there's one that we read, The Memory Police. Yeah, I did not finish that book. That it's like yeah. award-winning, incredibly successful book. Um, I didn't like it very much, but I think because I had an, a Western expectation of storytelling. Yeah. yeah. So when it ended, it kind of just ended, and it's like, what happened? Yeah. And I, I don't think, and the, the book was well written, but um, and then a, a couple of other Japanese books that I've read slash listened to on audiobooks are also just very different yeah. in how they're told. And it's like, I think like you're saying, I'm not used to that story structure, whatever yeah. it is, which I, to me, it's still indefinable because I haven't read enough. Well, yeah. And I think a lot of it is, is, um, is like, it's, yeah, it's not necessarily definable. What What's kind of interesting is I feel like South Korea, again, from the, I'm not an expert in foreign language films. Yeah. But, like, I think South Korea is maybe the easiest for Americans to jump into because there is usually, like, a criticism of capitalism that we relate <laughs> yeah. to. Um, and, and there is just, like, a. have found that, like, most of the Korean movies I've watched are, like, I could recommend this to just about anybody. Yeah. 
and it's very much its own thing. Yeah. But it feels like... More accessible? It, well, it just feels like Bong Joon-ho's movies and Martin Scorsese's movies aren't that different if yeah. you break them down. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it feels like the, the bridge between America and South Korea is a, a shorter bridge than other countries, like, ar- artistic language, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Because, like, yeah, like a movie like Parasite, it's very not American, and yet I think it just resonates with Americans so much. That's why it won an Oscar. Mm-hmm. And and we'll see what happens with Indian movies because RRR clearly resonated with Americans yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, and I I remember reading last year that SS Rajmali uh, said that he was like Americans are starved for good action. Mm-hmm. And I yeah, he's right. Yeah. And John Wick Four this year also proves this point where it's like we were I mean we saw that movie two days in a row because we were like action. Yeah. <laughs> like good action. Yeah. Um, yeah. Got a dance number in there. Don't be afraid. Just do it. I know. There's no reason that one of the Marvel movies has not had an extended dance sequence that isn't, isn't the Eternals Bollywood sequence. That doesn't count. Yeah. Uh, but there should be like a one that's about the story that, that they should do. You know what? Who kind of did it a little bit? Who? Peacemaker. With their intro. They did. They did. Yeah. Everyone's dancing. Yeah. It's a pretty awesome intro to a show. I, I mean, I think because of the way they've made Thor and, and part of this, it sticks in my ear because of Patrick Willems making a joke about how the new Thor should have an extended dance number in it. Oh, did he say that? Yeah. Uh, but I do feel like Thor would make the most sense. Why? Because they've made him just like such a goofy character that okay. it's like he would, he would work. And it's so mythological that, like, if you wanted to do a music video, like, <laughs> not too, not too scene with Thor, that would be the movie to do it. In. Okay, let's let's do it. And then, I mean, if they're gonna do it, they gotta do. They gotta keep up their Matt Damon, Russell Crowe, um, yeah, cameos. Just yeah, throw, but th- throw them in it too. I'm I'm joking. No, no, no. I but here's what I want. I don't want like someone in a Marvel movie to be like, hey, let's dance for this theater. I want it to be like a part of the narrative mm-hmm. that that. And like it's not, RRR. yeah, it doesn't wink at the camera. Yeah. It is like, we are unapologetically, Thor has to do a dance off against Loki. Otherwise, like Midgard will be destroyed. <laughs> the closest thing we've got is in Guardians when he tries to dance off with uh, Ronan. Yeah. The accuser. Yeah. Um, but we can't judge a James Gunn movie against all the other Marvel no, movies. No, no, no. It's, it's not too, fair. It's unfair for all the other ones. <laughs> Uh, okay. I was on Don Adams and covering the actress. Yes. Oh, yes. What movie are we talking about? 1,000 Eyes of Mabuse. So she is our heroine. Uh-huh. She is also in The Hour of 13, Young Bess, The Love Factor. And then Peter Van Eck plays... Okay. <laughs> I swear, I swear that they called this man Taylor... The whole movie. They did. They absolutely this did. This is the character's name. No. Henry B. Travers. They said Taylor. They said they Taylor. They said Taylor. So I'm calling him Taylor. Yeah. Peter Van Eck plays Taylor. That name sounded very familiar to me when I saw it. I don't know why. But I was looking at his um, bio. He is German. Uh-huh. Um, and he... In 1937, he arrived in New York uh, via Cuba. Um, 
So he fled Germany. Okay. And it's the bio is kind of like, and then ironically, a lot of his career is spent playing Nazis because oh, he's fair hair, yeah, like blonde hair, blue eyed, yeah. dude, um, and very um, villainous looking. Yeah, and, and this he, is the main character. Our this main is character, like the good guy, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, he was destined to be typecast as stereotypically scowling, arrogant Nazi officer. This was ironic because being an avowed anti-fascist, he had left Germany in 1931. Okay. Um, two years before Hitler even came to power. Okay. Wow. Um, just. It's gonna be so easy for me now to remember 1933, Testament of Doctor Mabuse, Hitler's rise to power. Boom. Yeah. Um, and then after the war, he returned to Germany. Um, where he continued to, to appear. He appears as an American in a lot of movies, actually. But, okay. Um, as well as being, like, appearing as a Nazi and stuff, too, in okay. movies. Um, and then Gert Frobe, 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 uh, plays criminal Comey Sar Cross, who was the detective. The pol- Interpol guy? No. Oh, the other, the American detective. So yeah. he is Goldfinger. Okay. He is Goldfinger. Um, I knew I recognized him from somewhere. Yeah, he is also German. Um, obviously best known for being Goldfinger. Um, and this is interesting. Um, he will forever be remembered by Western audiences the, as the bombastic megalomaniac Goldfinger trying to kill Sean Connery. That is the first Bond movie I saw, by the way. Really? Yes. Is it good? Yes. Um, Watched it in a church, by the way. Why? What be- was the context? <laughs> because the worship, there was like a men's movie night and the <laughs> worship pastor chose Goldfinger, which, by the way, has a scene where... I mean, of course, there's always sex scenes in Bond to some degree. They're yeah. always very—I mean, it's a 60s movie. It's not that bad. Um, but uh, there's a scene where there's, like, a woman who's been killed, like, painted gold. Yes. And she's naked. And and you, like—I think you, like, see her butt, kind of. And we watch it, like, projected on the screen in the auditorium at— um, a rogue, a rogue, rogue Valley Community— Christian, a Rogue Valley Christian Church on Oakdale— great (laughs) (laughs) um anyway because of his thick german accent he was dubbed in goldfinger by um, english actor michael collins um but yeah i thought that was interesting yeah that is very interesting wolfgang priest like we had mentioned he plays um dr s jordan as well as mabuse and cornelius yes three different people i did not track that they were the same person tell the reveal did you no I mean, that's pretty, that's actually kind of wild. Yeah. Uh, I had to say when that happened, that was kind of a magic trick in the movie (laughs) where I was like, holy cow. I was expecting, I was waiting for him to like, when he was taking off the hair and the facial hair, like take off the nose. Uh Uh-huh. He didn't take off a nose. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like he just looked so different. Yeah. It was crazy. Um, so he, um, he's also German. Um, trying to see. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So okay, beginning in a couple of early '40s German films, World War II inter- interrupted Priest's movie output for quite some time. But in many ways, the war never left him. He would continue playing wartime colonels, generals, and field marshals for the duration of his prolific career. 
Um, so I think he also left Germany. Yeah. And then came back after the war. Okay. Um, he is in things as he's also in a bridge too far. The boys from Brazil, um, the train and much more. Okay. I think that's enough, right? No, one more. Oh, okay. Uh, Werner Peters, who plays the Interpol guy. Okay. That had the most annoying laugh. Uh huh. Captured on film. Confirmed. Um, well, it doesn't get much worse than Jared Leto as the Joker. Well, that's true. Ha, 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 ha. Um, <laughs> so he, this is interesting. So he's German as well. Um, he is tr- initially started out as a comedian. Okay. Uh, after serve after military service in World War II, he reinvented himself as a serious dramatic actor. And I'm just looking at his bio on IMDb, but it's like, what? Sir, who did you serve with in World War II? Okay. If, he, if he's German, I don't know. And then it doesn't say. Okay. And <laughs> wait, I guess wait, wait, look wait, it up. wait, what's what's his name? Uh, Werner Peters. And I'm, uh, that's a W, right? Yeah. Um, but also with him, he moved <laughs> to the West in 1955 to portray Nazis, corrupt establishment fix- figures, sinister spies, and reprehensible Philistines um, in local and international films. Um, uh, his his uh, Wikipedia does not say anything about his military career. Okay. I'm, I'm sh- guessing he didn't, though. Film started with the, the Peters worked in West Germany, appearing mostly in supporting roles in popular movies. He also established himself in the European and international film industry by frequently playing sinister German or Nazi characters. I don't know. I kind of feel like if you're a Nazi, you probably wouldn't want to. I don't think they would like he would be in prison. So like he could. Yeah. And potentially execute. And I don't think uh, Fritz Lang would really want him on his set. I don't think so. If either. he was, if he used to serve it's with just, the it's Nazis, just, uh, it just feels like it's worth noting who he served <laughs> with <laughs> in his yeah, bio. Yeah, I wish we had that information in front of us. Um, but he is also he is in other things such as <laughs> <laughs> the Devil Strikes at Night, Battle of the Bull. That's a great time for the Devil to strike, if you ask me. And more. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let's dive in. Yeah, Jordan, we've we've done pretty good. We've done pretty good. So the movie begins. And I, I think, I mean, we can kind of fly over, right? Or do yeah. you want to get really specific? I don't know how to get specific. Yeah. It's, I mean, on the critical level of this movie, the information is doled out in such a way that it is it is truly, like, impossible to understand. There is, like, no tone. It's, like, devoid of a tone in this yeah. movie because it's just all, it all feels like exposition. And it's it's like listening to a podcast, but it's a sh- a movie because yeah. there's every scene. It's like this cut, happens, cut, and this cut, happens, cut, and this cut, happens, cut, and this cut, happens. Cut. I mean, it was it was. We paused it twenty minutes in, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is crazy." Yeah, I will say without a doubt, the four and a half hour movie Doctor Mabuse, The Gambler, felt half as long as this movie yeah. for sure. This yeah. was like pulling teeth a little bit yeah. as a movie. I had like a, I can't believe we have to cover this on the podcast feeling. Yeah. If we hadn't, I would not have finished this movie for sure. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting though, because the, the first two movies, the production value was just so incredible. Yeah. And this movie, it just like, I, I, this is probably the first movie, the first like old black and white movie Yeah. that I've seen. That's like, I can tell how bad the production is when, and he's back in Germany. 
I don't know what the Germany state is, like how their economy is, but maybe less than 20 years after the war, they're probably not the best, like economically. I don't know. So he's getting a movie made, but it, it must be like really shoestring. Maybe. Because this, oof, this looked bad. Yeah. Um, but anyway, there's this man that's killed similar to a fashion as the Testament. Yeah, shot from another car. Yeah. And this is when, like, a cool idea could happen that they do capitalize on, but in a way that doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, and then we're introduced to this man named Cornelius, who looks very strange. with Blind, and he's a... Um, a fortune teller. Fortune teller. And he... He basically, throughout the movie, he will predict things that are going to happen. But we find out later in the movie that he's part of this, he, like, is the new embodiment of Mabuse. Yeah. So did it feel like it was, like, because in the in Testament, it is very um, supernatural? Yeah. But in this movie, it almost just feels like they're carrying on his ideals. Yeah. Yes, that's that's what I got from it. Yeah. Too. Because so throughout the movie there's all these things that are happening and yet they have these cameras all over this hotel, the Luxar. And they're so like Cornelius will make like he'll say hey, someone's about to die. And then but he's set out a hit for that person. And and there's Which a, that I'm like that's interesting. Yeah. There's a scene when all of these dudes around a table, I think they're like the police or something, detectives discussing that all of these high profile people who have died recently, kind of all stayed at this hotel. Yeah. And they believe their next target could be this guy, Taylor. Yes. So while that's happening, Taylor, uh, is, is next to this window where this woman is going to jump off and kill herself. And this unravels this whole plot that was tough to understand, but again... I- and incredibly sexist. I'm y- just going to say it. Like, it is. It, it oh, is, sure. It, it is like... Because the movie was so bad. Yeah. It's, it's like, hard to forgive This is it. annoying. Yeah. Yeah. Because he saves this woman's life, or, or gets her off the ledge, brings her in, and then in a matter of hours, falls in love with her. Uh-huh. But more than anything, it's like this possession. It's Uh like, I saved you and I'm responsible for you. And I'm in love with you because of what I did for you. Yeah. And it's poor. But that's it's not like a thing that they're trying to speak on. It's just. Yeah. That's it. Now, I, I, I will say I'm not defending it because it is. It is. But also, we do find out later that the entire thing is fabricated. It is. So her her emotions, at least at the beginning, and her like latching on to him are all part of the plan. But then she does fall for him, which and then I'm confused about that. Well, they're, so they they're trying to get his money. He's got like a well, ton of yeah, money. That, yeah. So they want him to fall in love with this girl, and then she can write him into the will. Well, he or, can write her into the and will, and then they'll kill him. Yeah, and then she'll get all the money. So like that's like the plot of the movie. But oh my gosh, you got to go on a freaking journey through the backwoods down like a thousand different roads yeah. to even figure that out. Yeah. I'm kind of surprised that I was able to fi- like when the movie ended I was like, "Okay, I understood the plot." Because of course, like any 
like thriller, you don't find this out until the very end. Like yeah. that's the twist. And it's like, was I supposed to latch on to any of that? <laughs> right, this? right, right. Because I have no idea what happened. Yeah. So, and like the doctor that comes to check on her is also Mabuse. Yeah, that's Doctor Strange just yeah. in disguise. And there's another one. There's there's three guys, right? Or is it well, just Well, I think two? it's when he takes off both disguises. He's Dr. Yeah. Mabuse. Um, but yeah, I, I'm trying to figure out how to... I feel like we kind of talked but about the But he's like her movie, doctor but. and tends to her because she um, attempted suicide, so she's not well. Yeah. So he's like making sure she's okay. Taylor's like, I like this person because of what I did for her. Right, right. And then... Um, and then you have this other dude who sells life insurance, uh-huh. um, who like one, he like hangs out around the hotel all the time. And I think, well, I think he's caught on to all these people dying Yeah, um, around the hotel that he's like starting to hang out here as a life insurance agent right? Yes. to try and sell it, which is like, well, that's, I, that's fun, interesting and funny. Uh-huh. Um, turns out though, that he's an Interpol agent. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> right. Um, and then what? Well, yeah, there's, there's, okay. Well, this is what I was confused about. Okay. So the reason why the woman attempted suicide is because right before she went to the ledge, she had received a telegram. And then for much, much of the movie, we don't know what the telegram said. Yes. Um, and we, we did before, prior to even being introduced to her, we saw this man's feet and he has a club foot uh-huh. and he's typing out or, you know, doing the telegram. Yeah. And then we find out later on that it's... Oops, I just said F you. <laughs> later on, we find out I burped. That's what we find we out? We find that out, and I just did it. Uh-huh. Um, That the telegram came from her husband, who she's, like, estranged from, but yes. still married to, or run, run, run away from. He sent her a tel- the telegram, basically saying, like, you can never escape me or something, right? Yeah. And then later on in the movie, the husband finds her. Well, I guess he already knew where she was if he sent the telegram. Yeah. I, I just don't get how the husband plays into any of it. So so this is like to bring them even closer together because then they fake his death. So th- this is all part of the plan. Oh. He comes there. They fake kill him. It was a gun with blanks yeah. that, that t- 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 Taylor shot yeah. with. Um, and then they're like, oh my gosh, we have to cover up this murder. <laughs> that was, okay. Which, that didn't make sense. It didn't make sense. And of course, it's like, well, once you reveal it, I guess anything makes sense. Right. Because the the doctor comes in and is like, we're going to play this off like a heart attack. And it's like, the man was shot. Doesn't he have <laughs> bullet wounds? Right, right. This doesn't work. Right. But then you find out that the doctor is Mabuse, so it's like... Yeah, so this is all part of the plan so that they'll run away together and then the, she can get written into his will yeah. and take all of his so, money. The thing that they completely I mean, dropped... it kind of makes sense. Whatever. When you explain it, at the end of the movie, anything yeah. can make sense. Yeah. Where they really dropped the ball is, I don't think they did it enough, but a couple times during the movie, they would cut to someone watching what was happening on a ton of video screens. And this is when I was like, this is exciting. It's interesting. Because, like, camera showing someone pans out... Yep to reveal that someone is watching them pans back in. And I'm like, okay, that's the Fritz Lang I know and love. Right. So, but I don't think they did it enough. No. 
they, I feel like they only did it two or three times, and it didn't really reveal anything. Well, the first time it reveals that they're all being watched. Sure, which but I the think is next big. time that they did it, it doesn't really do anything. It's like reminding you, like, there's a random person back here on the video camera, like, watching everything. And it's like, I guess I was so lost in general. Yeah. But I just didn't really get how it could work. Well, I mean, if I remember right, the second time they did it, um, it was either they're talking about covering up the murder or it was characters talking about certain information. So it's cluing you into like, like whoever this main bad guy is, he will know this information. I I think it worked personally to me. It did. Okay. It was like the only exciting thing about the movie. So I was like, (gasps) take it, take it. I was just so lost. Cause, cause this is what, like, I like the plot of this movie. I like the story beats of this movie. Again, I just don't think it's done well, but this idea of like being mass manipulated when you're being watched everywhere and that can be used as blackmail it can be used to set you up to do things the i mean even in a way there's like almost like a foreshadowing of the internet i'm gonna go there uh i'm gonna go like a a, a very that's not that crazy even a thought, reaching for the guess. stars but well but what i'm gonna say is like the idea of like an algorithm guessing what you what actions you were going to make and then predicting them as cornelius does okay manipulating you into doing certain things i'm like yeah, all of See, that I is think, really cool and interesting. I think where the movie really lacks as well is the first two movies. Um, they spend a lot of time just showing that Mabuse is a criminal and master manipulator in a lot of different areas. Mm-hmm. And this movie, we do get it too because we are brought up to speed that a lot of people have died here. Yeah. So the, he has been doing his scheme for a long time. And I think it's just disappointing that the story that we get is basically the same scheme that the other people went through rather than I feel like the first two movies were all building up to some kind of coup. Yeah. In some way. And this is just like, they're just trying to get some guy's money. Right. It's very small picture at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. I I think it, I, I, I just think it works as an idea. Ideologically, this movie's awesome. I don't have an issue with that. No, I know. I know. I, I just I have an issue with the story. Yeah. Because so then I, this is probably just cause I was so lost, but eventually Taylor is shown that you can basically spy on other people in the hotel uh-huh. by going through a secret, uh, going through a closet. And then he can see, he can see Marion's room yeah. through a one way window mirror. Um, and it's just like very intrusive. Obviously, though, later on in the movie, he's able to save her because he was there and, like, seeing that her husband was about to kill her. Yeah. But I, I just feel like there wasn't... There was, I know, there was, like, I know. There could have been a potential parallelism. Well, because at just, first... It was just, like, this person has been watching on these video screens the whole time and manipulating, and then our main character also gets to see things behind the scenes, and he uses it for good? Right. I don't know. Because I, I I already have an issue with it base level yeah of spying on a person. Well, on the one hand, at first because he's like this is no good. Yeah, we can't do this. You know, there's that there That's could true. be the idea of like this is what bad people do, not good people. So I'm not going to do it. But then he does do it, and I don't think the movie I don't think the movie makes that. I don't know. He just does it, and and it's like. 
considering the circumstance, I think it makes sense to unquestionably do it at that well, point. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I guess it's like for for a series, if this series was not so steeped in allegory and themes, maybe I wouldn't care about that. But it is, it is. So it's almost like I wish you'd have thought about like the connection that he has with Mabuse in that moment. And what that could mean for him to be watching as well. Yeah. Um, I, I almost think, like, if you made the movie, like, in the 70s, maybe, when people are a little more paranoid. Uh, of the Cold War? Yeah, and just, like, cinema in general is much... Uh, not the 70s? Not paranoid. The 80s. Cynical. People okay. are more cynical in the 70s as far as, like, cinema. Sure. Um, maybe instead of having, like, this hero's a good guy and this hero's a bad guy, maybe, like, the this movie could have been a little more like, you know, maybe he can spy on her. Maybe he can unlock her plot and then try to manipulate her, you know, in a different way. And then you could see like the dichotomy of what's the difference between him and Dr. Mabuse. Yeah. That, that could maybe be more interesting than like, yeah, he's a good guy. Mabuse is a bad he guy. He used spying for good. Mabuse used it right. for bad. Yeah. I would be more interested in him, falling to temptation of spying as well yeah um because it doesn't fully make that point right i don't know and i mean that's kind of the movie yeah i mean do we have to go much more specific than that Did she die um i don't remember me neither i really don't remember she gets shot but then she's like in the hospital but i i don't think she dies i just remember her do it going like <sighs> Uh, maybe she does. <laughs> Doing the, uh, what is it, Talia? Um... Shire? No, 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 Talia, uh, uh, the Dark Knight. Talia al Ghul. Oh, Ra's al Ghul's daughter, yeah. Yeah. The the worst on-screen death in the last 20 years. <gasps> <gasps> <laughs> That's just like, Nolan, this is so unlike you to include that in a movie. <sighs> but we just watched The Dark Knight. And remember, uh, there's a lot of weird Gary Oldman lines. There, there, but that's that. That is more understandable to me than like, oh, why don't we just do one more take, where you just close your eyes instead of going. (laughs) 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 I mean, that shot alone kind of turned me off to that actress for a while, (laughs) where I was like, I don't want to see her for a long time. Um, yeah. So here's here's what I think. I I think I said my piece on this movie. I think, funny enough, I think it's time for another Dr. Mabuse movie. Um, full color. Let's not try to hearken. Full technicolor. Yeah, let's not try and hearken it back. But I think you and I. Wait, I, would you, when would you set it? Modern day. Okay. Today. Um, it's 100 years after the gambler made his reign of terror. Mm-hmm. And I think, in, and I don't know how to do this in a way that would not be corny. So this is just like the idea of it. But basically you'd have an allegory about how the internet currently is a place where like, like like we've lived in so many years of postmodernism where truth is relative, right? That's like been the, the mm-hmm. going rate. Mm-hmm. And you have movies like Matrix and stuff which question reality and it, it feels like we haven't, reached to a new movement and like Mm -hmm. thought yet past postmodernism it's only gotten even worse by my estimation of like oh now the only person i can trust as an expert in anything is myself Mm -hmm. and so i think 
some sort of movie that involves the allegory of the internet where it is like the where where Dr. Mabuse, whether he's someone on Reddit, whether or you know, some a channel or something like that, faceless, I think. Hugh. Yeah, yeah, kind of kind of like that. Um where where it's like he knows that if if I breed a world where truth cannot exist and if someone's an expert say oh i don't know like a doctor like you're you don't have to trust that person even though they spent their life studying being a doctor no one is an expert in anything and truth cannot exist that will then breed discord and revolutionary upheaval and it's inspired by you know, someone finding the testament of Dr. Mabuse on Reddit or something like that and being like, oh, this is interesting. I, I don't know how to do that in a way that's not extremely corny and like a bad episode of Black Mirror. You know but, what I've actually thought of? Yeah. And I've never seen them. Uh-huh. And I would like to watch the first one at least someday is The Purge. Yeah. Where it's like the premise is like there's a one night designated where you can just like get the let out. Yeah. And and like no crime is like you can commit any crime and you won't be prosecuted for it. Yeah. And I'm sure there's some big conspiracy behind it. That's mm. that they that the story goes through. Yeah. And I wonder what that would be. Because I'm thinking of his whole reign of crime. Yeah. Like idea. That's like his ultimate goal. Right. Is like the anarchy and everything. The only thing that exists is crime. Yeah. And it's like wasn't his thing kind of like getting back to basics as humans like just take what you want yeah tear everything down build a new regime where where i rule yeah i mean at the end of the day he wants to rule yeah um it's not even anarchy necessarily true yeah because he needs to be at the top yeah but it's it's well it is it's controlled anarchy yeah that's how he would like it but what do you like my idea i do it just makes me think like oh i gotta watch the purge because yeah. I'm curious if it, I mean, I don't think it's any, it's like what you're saying. Yeah. But I wonder if I watched it, if it would be like, oh, Mike, I think that's actually getting to somewhere. Yeah. Don't talk to me about what The Purge is about. I'll watch it eventually. Right. Don't spoil it for me. But but, but I also would fear that like, if someone tried to make that movie now, it would just, although I guess the last movie was based on a powerful bad figure. The last, you know, the first two movies basically. Yeah. Um, but but sometimes when people set out to like, you know, basically be like, hey, I want to because because in a nutshell, it's like what I'm describing is like making a allegory about like January 6th uh-huh. in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's what I'm talking how do you, about. How does it not? How do people not think of that? Yeah, you, you would know? think of that. But it's like sometimes when you're that specific on like writing something like that, you watch something and you're like, man, I don't even disagree with this person, but it's so heavy handed that it is not <laughs> fun to watch. Yes. Um, I mean, that's a, a different example, but that's how I feel about Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Okay. A movie that was, like, so obsessed with, like, trying to, like, satirize the millennial, like, generation that that it was like, oh, my gosh, I get it. Like, oh, shut up. Like, beating you over the head with it. That's how it felt to me. Yeah. Um, But a, pe- a lot of people really like that movie. I yeah. think it sucks. Yeah. Um. But but that that was my problem with the movie more than anything else is like they spent so much time trying to satirize the millennial generation they didn't make an interesting movie. Well, that's why it's like you should never start with the theme you should let the theme happen. And that's what concerns me about my idea starting because yeah. I am starting with a theme. Yeah. But 
I think it'd be so interesting. Because I think if you're starting with, if you want to make a Mabuse movie. Yeah. So you consciously are doing that. Yeah. You naturally, those gaps will be filled in. Yeah. Especially if you're setting it in a modern day. You don't even, you like, don't even worry about the themes until you're like seven drafts into your script. Yeah. And that's when you can afford to start thinking about the themes of it. Yeah. Because then you can, your story can just get bogged down by it. Right. It it would just be cool. I mean, I don't know who could do it, but like a, if a big director was like, all right, it's time to, it's time to make like this century's right. Mabuse movie and, and keeping it like in line with these three movies where it's like, this is the fourth, it, just disregard the other ones that weren't Fritz Lang directed movie, you know? Um, I don't know. I don't know who it could do it. It is interesting too because for some reason David Fincher is the only one that makes sense, and maybe it's because he did Social Network. I don't know if I want that, but not to say that he can't do it. He's a great director, but I don't know. But um, just think of Social Network. No, I I know, but it just makes me think that we we now live in an age where we we're an expert on everything. We're all masters of none. Yeah, and it's like. So it's like a movie like The Matrix could not be made today. Like it wouldn't be as groundbreaking. Yeah. Matrix has impacted us like so strongly culturally that I think in America we are where we are today because of those movies uh-huh. in a lot of ways. But it's like I can't imagine someone like I can't even like well no, no one will know that that movie's happened until it's out. What? Like like sorry, something that's that culturally impactful. Oh sure, that's yeah. how that's how I feel like because we know everything about everything, therefore yeah. nothing's surprising. Right. So I, I I can't in my from my perspective imagine what the next groundbreaking idea could be. Right. In terms of a movement, which I don't think oh, any, I don't yeah, think yeah. anybody does. I didn't I, I didn't realize you were going back to that. I thought you were talking yeah. specifically Mabuse because it's like the Matrix feels like the last time that happened that strongly. Yeah. You know. No, well, and I, I think Inception... And, like, and I agree with you, it's only gotten stronger, Yeah, the, the Matrix stuff. Yeah. I think Inception, though hopeful, also is, like, another element <coughs> in that puzzle and that continued ladder of postmodernism. Because you end with the, like, I don't know, choose the reality you want to choose, mm. uh, you as the viewer. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And by the way... Inception and Matrix are some of my favorite movies. So yeah, th- th- no, I'm not criticizing. These are it. not criticisms of those movies. Uh, yeah, just very interesting, very interesting. Yeah, and I and I think it would be cool with the with the right person writing it and the right director. Yeah, I think it would be like kind of an event. Um, yeah, it'd be an event for like, you know, maybe ten thousand people, but it would be an event for us <laughs> <laughs> to re- to do another Mabuse movie. Yeah, yeah, in that regard. You know, in that way, um, modernizing it. But I'm curious how hard it would be to make a Mabuse movie and not make it feel like a superhero movie, right? Because he because is, he's such a villain. Yeah, he's such a yeah. super villain. Um, but I think the hiding behind the keyboard thing is such an easy thing to. You could distance it from sure. that super villain kind but of vibe. If you were to cast like a straight up Doctor Mabuse, not some guy that's carrying on his ideas, yeah, but like the. The, an actor who uh-huh. would who would be a good mabuse present day present day present day mabuse um i think i can't remember his name but the the guy who's in um i uh last the last night in soho terrence stamp yeah 
Oh, Terrence Stamp. That's interesting. He would I don't be. Know if, I mean, he's very distinct looking. He yeah, is. he totally is. No, no, yeah, that's a good pick. That's a good pick. He was just the first person that popped in my head. He may be getting a bit too old. I, I don't know how old he is, but um, yeah, that would maybe be. That would be interesting. Yeah, young Mabuse. Not Joaquin Phoenix. The guy gets everything these yeah, days. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Y- young Mabuse would have to be um, who? Someone, someone, someone with hypnotizing eyes. Someone that can hypnotize Jared you. Jared Leto. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally kidding. I'm gonna be thinking about that though. Yeah. Who would be a good Mabuse? For like the Disney Plus series where they explain like how Mabuse no, became Mabuse. No, no. What? That doesn't no. sound good to you. Just someone that could really, could really do it. Yeah. Those are. Big I mean, shoes you know, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I got it, I got it. Um, I'm forgetting his name, but he's. He he could do it and and it would be awesome. Um, D- uh, uh, Dudley Dudley, oh Harry Harry, Harry Melling. Melling Harry Melling absolutely he would be great. Okay, so you write the movie, get well, write yeah write the movie and then when the writer strikes over, and we can start shopping it around. Yeah. Uh, then we have to like this think, has to be with Harry. Think Melling. about this. Think about this would be cool. Okay, it's Harry Melling. He is basically an online troll okay he's harry melling or he's he's <laughs> rude no, no no he's not um dr mabuse oh, oh but okay. he stumbles across dr mabuse stuff and then and then because these movies do have a supernatural element he literally gets hypnotized by the words and he has like a vision like the psychiatrist in the testament and it's the old footage of dr mabuse and he and and we have like a scene where he's in his room and he actually sees Dr. Mabuse appearing to him and it's the old actor. And then it's like his room. And again, I'm thinking allegorically here. He becomes like someone who gets obsessed with say, uh, you know, a presidential candidate where that's all they can think about. And their room is covered in the things and the mantras of that person, the bumper stickers, all of that. And he's just hiding on his computer all the time, spreading this message of like hate from Dr. Mabuse. It's not very exciting, though. Well, I don't know what, like, the conflict would be, but, yeah. like, I'm at, like, how cool would that be if if he, if I'm saying that the words actually hypnotize him, and, and it's, like, his hypnotist powers from back then yeah. are able to translate No, that's to cool. I like that. That's sweet. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, Harry Melling is my choice, too. Yeah, he'd be great. <coughs> um, Do you remember that Portlandia sketch where, um... Or Fred Armisen, sure. <laughs> or Fred Armisen is like in a basement and he has like greasy, lanky hair and he's sitting behind a computer and he's just scrolling through Facebook and Instagram and he just is so creepy looking and he's just looking at all, all these people's accounts and he always comments, beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pretty funny. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, so that's my pitch. Cool. Um, we did do it. Best movie, uh, the ranking is from least to best. Three, one, two for me. But one and two are really close. I think I'm going from least to best three, two, one. Cool. I like The Gambler a little more than Testament. Cool. But Testament, I'd watch. Oh, well, of course. You know, because it's Cause shorter. it's not four and a half hours. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. And so I guess I just want to say also that this last week, after we watched The Testament of Dr. Mabuse, we watched Heat, and then we were like, okay, we 
kind of in like unbeknownst to ourselves watched two of the most influential movies on the Dark Knight. So then we rewatched the Dark Knight. Yeah. So that was fun. Yeah. Um next so the next 2 weeks we're releasing a couple of Patreon episodes. And then we'll be back doing another series back from maternity leave. Um, and we're not going to announce that. We'll announce that on those Patreon episodes next week. Oh, so I don't even know? Uh, we've talked about it many times. Oh. Um, yeah. Uh, so on Patreon, it's 22 Jump Street. Okay. Uh, we'll see you next week. Have fun, boys and girls. <laughs> <laughs> see ya. See ya.